Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 20th edition of the WorkHop Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Happy holidays, and thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear a case involving a San Fernando Valley business that could impact a controversial 2004 California law. At issue in the case is the validity in California of employer-employee arbitration agreements. In the underlying case, Angie Moriana sued her former employer Viking River Cruises Incorporated, a company that's located in Woodland Hills, California, seeking recovery of civil penalties under the Private Attorney General Act of 2004, also known as PAGA, P-A-G-A. Since there was an agreement between the company and its employees, Viking moved to compel Moriana's claims into arbitration. But the trial court denied Viking's motion, and the Second District Court of Appeal affirmed in the unpublished opinion, which will now be reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Viking argued that the United States Supreme Court's 2018 decision in Epic Systems Corporation v. Lewis overruled the California Supreme Court's 2014 earlier decision in Iskanian v. CLS Transportation, Los Angeles, LLC. In the Iskanian case, the California Supreme Court held that an employee's right to bring a PAGA action is unwaivable and that where an employment agreement compels the waiver of representative claims under the PAGA, it is contrary to public policy and unenforceable as a matter of state law. However, in 2018, Epic Systems Corporation v. Lewis ruled that the Federal Arbitration Act's preemptive preempts state law restrictions on private employment arbitration agreements prohibiting class and collective actions. Nonetheless, since 2018, numerous California courts of appeal have rejected the contention that Iskanian is no longer good law in the wake of the Epic case. The cruise line argued in its petition of the U.S. Supreme Court that the California Supreme Court was wrong in the 2014 Iskanian case, and since the 2018 Epic Systems decision, Iskanian is no longer valid case law in California. The U.S. Supreme Court responded by agreeing to hear the case, which means that soon the issue of the validity of the California law prohibiting employer-employee arbitration mandates will be decided by the federal top court. In an email to the members of the California Business and Industrial Alliance, the group's founder and president said that the implications of a Supreme Court decision in Vikings' favor cannot be understated. According to its website, the California Business and Industrial Alliance, SABIA, is the only trade group exclusively focusing on fixing the Private Attorney General Act. Now that the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to resolve the dispute between state and federal law, it is likely that SIABA will indeed achieve its mission. The California Department of Industrial Relations maintains an online database of PAGA notices that have been filed.
However, in another unrelated case, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to issue an injunction against New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, which does not allow them to seek a religious exemption. New York State imposed the vaccine mandate for doctors and nurses last August, which allows only for medical exemptions and not religious ones. The latest declination of reviews suggests the High Court's lack of an appetite to wade into the matter of vaccine mandates. The Supreme Court has previously declined to hear other challenges, including one that focused on Maine's lack of a religious exemption to vaccine mandates for health care workers. In the New York case, the petitioners, which included Christian doctors, said, New York's vaccine mandate violates the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment prohibition on religious discrimination. They also argued that it violates federal civil rights law that requires businesses to accommodate employees' religious beliefs. Justices Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alioto, and Neil Gorsuch wrote they would have supported temporarily halting enforcement of the New York mandate. Gorsuch wrote in his dissent that one can only hope today's ruling will not be the final chapter on this grim story. Last October, when the Supreme Court did not take up the main vaccine case, Gorsuch wrote that healthcare workers who have served on the front line of a pandemic for the last 18 months are now being fired and their practices shuttered adding that they have been terminated for adhering to their constitutionally protected religious beliefs. He further argued that their plight is worthy of our attention. Other than Maine and New York, Rhode Island is the only other state that does not allow religious exemptions to the vaccine mandate for health care workers. Nearly six years after a violent van crashed, killing four young Fresno area members of the California Conservation Corps. The agency has been found responsible for serious and willful misconduct by failing to heed its own safety protocols leading up to the collision. The Fresno Bee reported on a ruling by workers' compensation judge in Fresno that stems from the fatal wreck back on February 2, 2016, when a van carrying core members to a job site rolled through a stop sign and into the path of an 80,000-pound tractor-trailer going at least 50 miles an hour. Dead at the scene were 20-year-old Rhonda Shackleford and 21-year-old Justin Van Meter, who lived in Clovis, and 18-year-old Serena Guadarrama, who lived in Fresno. 19-year-old Ronnie Cruz, who lived in Fresno, suffered catastrophic brain and spinal injuries, but lingered more than three years in a near-vegetative state before dying in July 2019. All were recent recruits, two of them so new to the California Conservation Corps that they had yet to receive their first paycheck. The tragedy spawned a flurry of lawsuits and workers' compensation claims that have plotted on for years, some still unresolved. 
The serious and willful misconduct ruling by Judge Jeffrey H. Sims of the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board in Fresno followed two days of hearings this year. The van driver, Nathan Fennell, who escaped with moderate injuries, was 20 at the time of the crash and had recently been promoted to a supervisory position. Corps members had complained about Fennell driving recklessly and clowning around behind the wheel, including on the morning of the wreck. The California Highway Patrol found that 11 of the 15 safety belts in the van were inoperative or unavailable because the belts and clasps had slipped through cracks in the seats and were behind them on the floor. In his ruling, Judge Sims cited Fennell's unsafe driving and the agency's failure to enforce its own safety rules, which require that vehicles pass a visual inspection of tires, lights, seat belts, and other components before being driven. The policy states that if deficiencies are found, the vehicle is to be placed out of service until repairs are made. The work comp judge wrote that Clearly, had the employer followed its own protocols, it would have triggered the substitution of another vehicle. But sadly, it did not. The case before Judge Sims highlighted an oddity, some would say, an injustice in California's workers' compensation law. When a worker killed on the job has no dependents, Death benefits that would otherwise go to family members instead are claimed by the state of California. The Death Without Dependents Unit puts the money into a trust fund for workers with pre-existing disabilities who are later injured on the job. As a result, $150,000 in death benefits for Guadarrama and Van Meter were claimed by the state. Rhonda Shackleford's parents received $45,000 in benefits based on evidence they were partially dependent on their daughter's help with rent and other bills. But the additional death benefits triggered by a serious and willful ruling do go to families even if they were not dependents of the deceased workers. Following last month's SNW ruling, the CCC agreed not to file an appeal in return for a 10% discount on the additional benefits owed these families. Survivors of Guadarrama and Van Meter families will now get $67,500 each and the Shackelfords $22,050. Ronnie Cruz received more than $2.8 million in workers' compensation, nearly all of it to reimburse medical providers during the three-plus years he remained alive. As a result, with the serious and willful finding, slight more than one and a quarter million dollars in additional benefits will go to his estate, less attorney fees. Gilead Sciences, Bristol Myers Squibb, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and a group of consumers who accused the companies of conspiring to keep certain HIV therapy drugs off the market and at high prices have reached a $10 million class action settlement. Lead plaintiffs Peter Staley filed the class action lawsuit against Gilead back in August 2019. 
He claimed the company's inflated drug costs priced more than 400,000 people in the U.S. out of their necessary HIV medications. Gilead allegedly held a monopoly on HIV drug patents, and as a result, the company has been able to charge high premiums for these drugs. The class action also claimed that Gilead has violated state and federal laws by allegedly scheming with other drug manufacturers to prevent them from creating generic versions of these drugs, even after the patents on them expired. The deal also includes significant injunctive relief, which will prevent Bristol-Myers and Gilead Sciences from continuing its alleged practice of withholding the generic product Evotaz from the market. Without this injunction, Bristol-Myers' agreement with Gilead Sciences would have kept the drug inaccessible until at least September 2029. However, the settlement document maintains Bristol-Myers' displeasure with the complaints at uh, characterization of Bristol-Myers' conduct and its collaboration with Gilead Sciences. And now our crime report. The California Employment Development Department detected and is quickly taking action to halt a recent move by organized criminal elements. Medical and health providers certify the existence of a disability that an applicant reports when seeking disability insurance benefits from the EDD. The new scam involves suspected organized crime elements attempting to use stolen credentials of individuals and medical or health providers to support these fake claims. Evidence of the scam included a recent increase in new online medical or health provider account EDD registrations and a simultaneous rise in disability insurance claims. The department has suspended payments on certain claims until it can further verify information on each claim. And the EDD is also boosting its medical and health provider vetting process and halting payments on many new claims. These efforts help protect legitimate providers and claimants from further fraud. But the filters will slow the processing of registering new providers and may impact the time it takes for legitimate claimants to receive benefits. The EDD will be contacting providers as soon as possible to complete the additional verification process. And there is currently no evidence that California medical or health providers were knowingly involved in this latest scam attempt. EDD is expanding its fraud information sharing across state and federal agencies, as well as impacted medical groups. And California will continue to closely monitor claim activity and take actions to protect the integrity of state disability insurance funds. EDD has posted a frequently asked questions about the new identity theft scan on the Help Fight Fraud page, along with helpful information and resources to help assist those who may be victims of identity theft. 62-year-old Alfredo Casas, who lives in Stockton, has been arraigned on 15 felony counts of insurance fraud, grand theft, and tax evasion. Casas allegedly underreported payroll for his farm labor contracting business by over $1 million, resulting in a substantial loss to two insurance companies and the state compensation insurance fund.
And remarkably, Mr. Casas was convicted on similar workers' compensation fraud charges back in 2012. As part of that conviction, his business was found uninsurable by the state fund. However, Casas allegedly renamed and restructured his business using family members to serve as its officers, allowing him to obtain new workers' compensation insurance policies. Investigations of his new company started back in 2019 when a referral from an insurance company suspected his businesses, AC Farm AG Incorporated, was fraudulently reporting no payroll. A joint investigation and search warrant discovered cases filed failed to disclose payroll, previous insurance claims, policy cancellations, and failed to provide correct job descriptions for his employees. He also operated for over two years as KSS Farm Services using forged certificates of insurance, forged Department of Industrial Relations farm labor contractor permits, forged San Joaquin County agricultural permits, and documents he obtained from the state's Labor and Workforce Development Agency by fraud. Cases is scheduled to return to court on February 10 for further arraignment. And in regulatory news, according to a California Workers' Compensation Institute analysis of data from the state's Office of Self-Insurance Plans, the total number of job injury claims reported by California public self-insured employers edged downward slightly, slightly last year. But a growing number of lost time claims and a rising per claim costs drove up total workers' compensation paid and incurred losses for the cities, counties, and other public agencies in the state. The state compiles the data annually from workers' compensation reports submitted by hundreds of public self-insured entities. The latest summary shows that these employers provided workers' compensation coverage to nearly 2 million California public workers last year, whose wages and salaries totaled more than $139 billion. CWCI's review found that even though the number of employees covered by public self-insurer's employers last year declined 4.4%, the total number of reported claims fell less than 1% to nearly 107,000 cases. Despite having fewer workers, comp workers and slightly fewer claims, Public self-insurance total claim payments increased by more than $30 million to $445 million total. This was 7.3% more than the comparable figure for the prior year and 41.6% more than 2013-14 fiscal year, which was the low point for the past decade and the first year following enactment of SB 863, the 2012 Workers' Comp Reform Bill signed by Governor Brown. The overall public self-insured claim volume was down compared to a year earlier, CWCI noted, that decline was completely due to a 19.7% drop in medical-only claims, which are relatively inexpensive. 
while the number of more costly lost time claims increased by 15.5%. The average indemnity paid this current fiscal year was $4,256, so the addition of the 8,967 lost time cases was the key factor in fueling the increase in public self-insured payments last year. The research increase in the number of indemnity claims in the public sector last year was likely due at least in part to the addition of COVID-19 claims to the claim mix, as the public self-insured workforce includes many essential workers such as police, firefighters, prison guards, and state hospital workers who have a presumption of compensability if they contract the virus. The introduction of COVID claims into workers' comp also coincided with a spike in public self-insured death claims, which more than doubled from 104 to 220 death claims. Two 2022 ballot initiatives are likely to resurrect medical malpractice so-called tort wars. One of the capital's most enduring conflicts pits personal injury attorneys and their allies in consumer advocacy groups against corporate interests and their insurers. The two factions clash incessantly over what events are deemed wrongful acts or torts, who can sue over those acts, and what monetary damages can be awarded. The clash is dubbed the tort wars, and the conflict has raged for decades in the legislature, in the courts, and occasionally by way of ballot measures. Each side depicts itself as the good guy and the other as the rapaciously evil. Millions of dollars are spent each year on lobbyists, media strategists, political campaign advisors, and other tools of the political trade. CalMatters reports that the intensity of the war varies from year to year, and 2022 is shaping up as one of its hotter periods, as the factions propose dueling ballot measures for voters to review. One would effectively undo the 1975 law that limits damages for pain and suffering in medical malpractice cases, while another would place a new limit on the fees that personal injury attorneys can claim. The controversial 1975 law, known as the Medical Injury Compensation Reform Act, or MICRA, which limits non-economic damages for medical practice, medical malpractice, to only $250,000. Its passage was not only a big win for medical providers and their insurers, but the opening salvo of the tort wars. MICRA also ended workers' compensation subrogation recoveries in the California medical malpractice case arena. The attorneys not only have unsuccessfully tried to repeal or modify MICRA, while business groups and insurers have attempted to carry the micro-model of damage limits into other potential injury cases. Back in 1987, which was 12 years after MICRA was enacted, 
The Speaker of the State Assembly mediated extensive negotiations between the warring factions on a truce, culminating in the infamous napkin deal worked out in Frank Fat's restaurant near the Capitol. The napkin deal was quickly ratified by the legislature as it gave lobbyists for every interest involved something to take back to their clients, including a slightly modified version of Micra and new protections for the tobacco industry from lawsuits by smokers for cancer and other illnesses. The napkin deal truce lasted a few years, but tort wars resumed in the 1990s and have been waged ever since on specific issues, including several unsuccessful efforts to change MICRA. One subset of the conflict has been perennial jousting over workers' compensation laws, the employer-financed multi-billion dollar system. The newest salvo in the tort wars is a ballot measure that would indirectly but effectively repeal MICRA, which is already qualified for the 2022 ballot, even though the anti-MICRA coalition has failed repeatedly in the past to undo the law. Meanwhile, the Civil Justice Association of California, an umbrella organization of businesses and insurance industries, has unveiled its own ballot initiative measure that would limit lawyers' contingency fees in personal injury cases to 20% of monetary judgments, sharply lower than the traditional one-third or more. The goal, obviously, is to make attorneys less willing to take on tort cases. And in medical news, in a move that may concern those responsible for payment of health care costs, Pfizer and Arena Pharmaceuticals announced that the companies have entered into a definitive agreement under which Pfizer will acquire Arena in an all-cash transaction for a total equity value of about $6.7 billion. Pfizer expects to finance the transaction with existing cash on hand, likely the proceeds from manufacturing COVID vaccine. The boards of directors of both companies have unanimously approved the transaction. Arena's portfolio includes diverse and promising development stage therapeutic candidates in gastroenterology, dermatology, and cardiology. The proposed transaction is subject to customary closing conditions, including receipt of regulatory approvals and approval by ARENA's stockholders. And in other news, the Voice of Orange County is a nonprofit news source that has a focus on life in Orange County. One of its current projects is requesting information from Orange County regarding the workers' compensation claim costs for COVID claims. And the organization just published an update summarizing current workers' compensation claims costs, frequency, and costs. Orange County Sheriff's staff are getting hit with COVID-19 illnesses at a much higher rate than other large county departments and are by far the largest share of pandemic-related workers' compensation costs as the county has paid out so far. Sheriff's staff, 
who had the lowest self-reported vaccine rate, are around 20% of the county government workforce. Yet, they account for nearly half of the county workers' compensation claims for COVID illnesses and about 950 of the roughly 2,000 claims so far. The next biggest department for COVID workers' compensation costs is the Social Services Agency, which has more employees than the Sheriff's Department, but half as many COVID-related claims and costs. Many social services agency employees work directly with the public and some visit houses to conduct wellness checks on children and seniors. The high sheriff's figures have prompted questions about what's driving the department's higher COVID rates and what can be done to better protect its workers. Sheriff's officials did not have answers to these questions about whether it related to lower vaccine rates the indoor work environment at jails, or both, and whether managers have analyzed the data to better protect workers' health. A department spokeswoman noted that both sworn and non-sworn sheriff's staff have been serving in person throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, both in the jail and on the streets. The department has implemented COVID-19 safety measures consistently with guidelines provided by public health officials for the health and safety of its 3,800 employees. The union previously pushed back against a state mandate requiring jailhouse deputies to be vaccinated. No Orange County Sheriff's staff are reported to have died from COVID-19, although law enforcement officers in neighboring counties have indeed died from the virus. Among the County of Orange workplaces with active COVID outbreaks this summer were the Sheriff's Department Central Jail and Headquarters Complex in Santa Ana. Since June, Sheriff's staff have filed an additional 264 COVID-related workers' comp claims, totaling $367,000. In contrast, staff at the County Healthcare Agency which has about 80% as many employees as the Sheriff's Department, filed just 15 new claims during the same period, totaling about $500 although, according to uh, altogether, $500,000 altogether, according to county data. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.